You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. Hello and welcome to For the Lord. This is Roger coming to you on Monday, the 26th of July, and we've got a great episode. And as is becoming the norm, we're not all here. <laughs> it's just Vince and I this week together. We're, we're taking the the rounds of, you know, without everybody. I think we've covered it all now. Uh, yeah, we got it. We got all the permutations out of the way. Yeah. Although now it's going to be you two not come in and I bring in somebody else entirely. I'll bring <laughs> exactly. in Marty or, or Hannah or something. Uh, <laughs> But anyways, we did want to get a show in and there is going to be some Joe just at the tail end of this episode. He's going to be recording a feature on some of the Blizzard news that we have. We are going to touch on some Blizzard news, however, because we've been playing the new season of Diablo. But we'll get into that later. More importantly, something wonderful happened last week, and that was the beta for Destiny 2. (laughs) I pre-ordered the game on PS4. So I was able to get in that extra day early as well, even before the uh, the Xbox One people, which was fantastic because I got to rub that into Marty's nose, <laughs> which brought great joy to my day. <laughs> but I tried it out on PS4. I didn't even bother installing it on the um, the Xbox, even though that opened up to uh, like an open beta to everyone, whether you pre-purchased it or not. But I was having so much fun on the PS4, and that's the one that I'm more comfortable with. I prefer the controller. Plus, I wanted to test it out more through the streaming, not just to the Vita, but also to the both my Mac as well as my PC using the the streaming app that's that's now out. Because that's that's primarily how I've been playing actually my my PS4 games now is through streaming it to my Mac, which works beautifully looks great no lag so so i wanted so to can test you that. play with keyboard and mouse no on the ps4 okay, well, okay so i you, say you still need a controller yes yeah yeah i okay. don't know whether i know you can set it up obviously i'm with sure the there's ps4 be but i don't think that you can do it with the app because that mm-hmm. was something very specific that oh damn it who was it i want to say belgas but i'm not positive had talked about that some time ago because he was, I'm, I'm almost positive it's Belcast, it was using another app that was being developed separately by somebody not in the Sony team to do exactly the same thing, only it also allowed you to use your keyboard and mouse. It was a paid app, but it wasn't a lot. If memory serves, it was like 10 bucks or something. I never bothered getting it because there were some lag issues with it, and it was literally a, a week or two after I'd read that that review of the product on their site that the official app came out. So I was like, fuck that. I'll just wait for the official one. So I play. Yes. Yeah, so I play with the controller. Did you play the beta at all last week? No. Ah, oh, fuck dude. Really? You know, things going on. Oh dude. Okay. Well, here's the thing. I mean, the game comes out soon. Not yes. like, um, <laughs> are you buying it on the PS4 or PS, uh, PC? I'm pretty sure on PS4. Okay. Because Allie tweeted about that just last week saying she was thinking of getting the PC version. Well, here's what I'm thinking. Like, because A, I I probably won't have my new PC by then. But, you know, I'll get it on PS4. And then at some point, I'll probably also get it on PC and just have two different characters. In all honesty, I, well... I've actually still got the page up <laughs> in, in Chrome on my PC for the pre-order for the PC. And I never do that. I don't, well, I shouldn't say that. If they're cheap um, indie games, and by that I just mean inexpensive, then I might buy multiple copies across different platforms. Like I've, I've, I've got Bastion everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> there's certain games I have a Which, lot of copies of just as a quick aside Pyre oh okay I was going to talk to you about that actually I, I, yes yeah. I know I'm going to be picking it up for sure I, as I understand it it's amazing yes if you want to give your Back thoughts to on the topic at hand <laughs> hold on to that thought though we will actually touch on it later because I wanted to ask you beforehand and I should have before we started recording mm-hmm. anyways back to Destiny 2 so 
What was cool about this is that I was reading a lot of people's opinions of it as well as I was playing, including Belgas is a huge um, uh, Destiny player as well. So I was reading his blog on on what he thought of it. And one of the most interesting comments that he made that I immediately related to as well was he had mentioned that something that was very disappointing was that they didn't include a planet for you just to dick around on, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of us do. You'll just kind of pop in and you didn't don't feel like doing I see a crucible. That they, they had opened something up like near the end of the beta. That was just the farm. And I'll get into okay. that in a little bit, but they didn't have an actual planet for you to fuck around on. All there was, was the strike, which was the inverted spire strike. They had two crucibles and they had, um, they did have, it's it's called the farm, and it's a social space they're calling it. So picture the space when you would go to the tower. It's essentially that, only now, as was said on Polygon, it's on Earth and with chickens. <laughs> so you're at a beat-up, run-down farm that is, uh, who the fuck knows? I don't even know where it's located on the map. <laughs> and they only had that up for an hour. I didn't realize that. I was lucky mm. enough that I popped in and it was like, oh, look at this. So I, I went in and checked it out. I will say that it was cool. I mean, it, it was very neat to kind of wander around because you can see the zones. There was there were only a couple of NPCs for the most part. It was just players. But you could see where different things would be. They had the structures set up, like where the Cryptarch is going to be. And there were logos for the Dead Orbit faction and, and also Eververse. So there were different things around. There was a, 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 a farmhouse that had like a sparrow garage on the side there was this massive hangar that was very cool to look at and different things and it was a fucking there's a soccer field <laughs> with two goalposts when people arrive the ball is in the middle as soon as you start playing quote unquote you if you score a goal the ball returns to the middle <laughs> and the first person to get three points fireworks erupt from their goalposts <laughs> I think that's fucking awesome. (laughs) It is cool as hell. So it's an interesting little area, especially as you kind of walk around. And there's some platformy stuff to do to get to certain roofs, which you're obviously meant to do because there's stuff up there. And as somebody pointed out, that might be where they lay, you know, some dead ghosts as well for you to go for achievements and things like that. Cool space. I much preferred the feel and look of the tower because it was a Mm. little bit more high tech, more futuristic, and it just, it fit the IP better. This makes it feel like a post-apocalyptic game. So it feels very much like, you know, that, um, uh, dead by daylight. No, no. Um, damn it. Uh, one of the recent ones anyways, it it felt again, if it, it almost, if you threw in some zombies, You'd be like, oh, okay, I know, I know, I see what this is. So I wasn't crazy about it, I, I will say, but it still looked cool, and there's a lot of stuff, and I'm looking forward to seeing it alive, quote unquote, again with actual NPCs and stuff. What they also included was the homecoming mission, and so you got to play through the entirety of that mission, not just what you saw on screen, but but more. Holy fuck, is it ever cool? Like. Again, having watched it, you're like, man, that is freaking awesome. Look at you're playing with with Cade and and the others, and and it's it's cool as shit. No, when you're playing through it and you see all of it, and mm-hmm. you wander around, especially when you're wandering around this beat up, bombed up tower that has been, you know, your life for a little while for your characters. It's actually impactful. Like you're like, wow, look at this. Like holy. This is awesome. In terms of how it looks, as we've discussed, Destiny is still a great looking game. So, yes, this looks better. There appears to be like more particle effects and whatnot, but it's hard to tell if that's globally or if that was just because <laughs> fucking towers in ruins and there's fire everywhere. <laughs> so, it's kind of hard to tell, but it looked good. I'm sure that if you're playing on a, a pro as well as with a 4K TV, then yeah, you'll notice a, a difference. I did not, so I'm just going by what I, I noticed. That strike 
is phenomenal. It is so much fun. And this is where I wrap back to what I was saying about Belgas, where he was saying that despite the fact that there was no planning included to dick around on, my phrasing, not his, um, which is something that is his preference to do, mine as well, he still went back every day to play and do the strike (laughs) and some crucibles because it's so much fun. And I was the same way. I was in that strike over and over again on all three characters. It didn't matter that I was not getting gear that's uh, an upgrade because for this, they had everything set to a specific uh, gear level to make it even and, and better for everybody. Didn't matter. I just wanted to run it. I didn't care about the rewards. I just wanted to play. And that inverted spire is amazing. I mean, there's there's a battle going on between Vex and Cabal, and you're just kind of tossed in. And this is on Nessus. It's a, a Vex world. And so you're there's quite a bit of platforming, which I notice is different now. They, there's a different feel to how... Um, some like the hunter and the titan kind of fly and float. So initially, mm-hmm. well, you get used to it fast enough. But the first few times I ran the strike on those characters, I fell a lot. <laughs> now, admittedly, <laughs> I'm not the best platformer to begin with. I will freely admit that. But I can hit a fucking mark like this. They're big. It's just because you would overshoot because the the jets and stuff. And it's like, okay, now I know how this works. Um but holy shit, so much fun. They included something cool too, where these there's these massive cannons, kind of, that you jump through that send you flying through the air, and I mean far. And then you land in another cannon most of the time, and then you just proceed from there, and it's to get you through some massive gaps in the map kind of thing. But... As you're zipping along on these, not only is it cool, but you can look around and see just how gorgeous the 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 scenery is, their assets. Like the first one that you jump, it's funny because your ghost makes a comment as you're in the air saying, oh, look, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was, oh, look, the legendary, and I think it was, he called it the Milk Falls, um, and it's these white, this beautiful white waterfall that's coming through. And he's saying, can we stop the low? Oh, forget it. Because you've landed on the other <laughs> side and you take off. <laughs> but the second time I ran it, I make sure to turn my character to look. And it's like, oh, my God, he's fucking right. Look at that. That's gorgeous. <laughs> and then you're fighting again. You're fighting both uh, Vex and Cabal. Tough motherfuckers. Like, this is not a joke. You have to find the weapon that you're most comfortable with, which takes a while. And then you you get used to the new characters and what you're allowed to do with their abilities and whatnot. Um, But what's happening is that you're pushing further and further in. Uh, There's a point where there's, like, bunkers on a beachhead. you got to go and take those out. you got to make your way to the, essentially, like, the heart of the, 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 um, the mine, the drill, because you, you've seen the pictures of that drill going around, right? Oh, yeah. I've, I've watched videos of all this oh, stuff. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. That that mining <laughs> death trap is amazing. Yeah. Oh, it fucking is. But even just when you get to the heart of it, it's another section, there's like waves that come after you. And that, to me, was the worst fucking part because those waves that come after you are no fucking joke either. And there's constantly people dying there. Constantly, constantly. It'll be different as we get better gear, of course, and then we can kill things more easily. But, like, in this strike, the Cabal are fucking hard to kill. Like, you leave a lot of them behind and just run past them because it takes too long to bother killing them. So you get to the um, the the that my, the drill part, which, again, fucking awesome. You need to figure out which path to take, which um, uh, Cabal or Vex you're going to, I think it's only Cabal at that point, uh, which Cabal you're going to try to kill to get through. Plus there's those weird dog looking things that come after you. So there's like, oh shit. 
more often than not, you're just well, going to have one part where they send like 40 of those dogs at you. You got to <laughs> fucking just run. <laughs> and that's what you do in that spot too. You just fucking run, jump over everything. Careful how you jump because there's a drill bit that's lower and one that's higher. So you're literally <laughs> bouncing up and down. You're sliding under them, which feels fucking epic. <laughs> you want to talk about an Indian, Indiana Jones moment when you slide under. All you're missing is a hat that you can reach back and grab from under the drill. And, uh, and then you drop down. Luckily, they set it up in such a way that not everybody has to complete that drill section. As soon as somebody drops, <laughs> everybody gets ported over. Thank God. Uh, and for the record, I was often the one that made it there first. I found a, a way to get through that actually worked really well. So I did that. Not to say I didn't die, because holy fuck, I did too. Then you fight the boss. And that's, uh, you fight Protheon, the modular mind boss. Anyways, there's there's stages to this motherfucker, as you would expect with a boss fight. But what's awesome is that once you get him to certain points, the fucking floor disappears on you. <laughs> And you fall. So then you have to make sure to like give a, a boost, a flight boost just before you hit the ground. And then he comes down and now he starts laying fire on the ground as well. So you're jumping in the air, shooting from the air, from little platforms, shit like that. Again, that area disappears. You fall down yet again. And meanwhile, he's also bringing up ads that you have to deal with and whatnot. And and he hits like a fucking tank but again the entirety of the fight is so much fun that you're willing to do it again and again even though it's a beta your character isn't leveling the gear doesn't matter because a you're not going to get anything better than what you've got and b it's all going to be taken away anyway and yet you do it just because it was fun so i did some crucible matches admittedly not too much but I never really did a ton of Crucible to begin with anyways. They did make some changes that make it feel a lot tighter and faster because the map is smaller, plus it's only 4v4. Uh, my son played a lot, and he was using a, um, I think, yeah, the Sentinel build. And once he figured shit out, he went from a 17-game losing streak to a, what was it? was he played a lot <laughs> a very <laughs> large winning streak but he figured out oh, okay this is how you play this map and and how to play effectively with these weapons and, and things like that and then he was killing it it was it was fun to watch so those are again really good that mission homecoming mission phenomenal that spire i can't wait to do it again that's how good it was so all told again this was a beta that apparently I didn't even know as I was playing it, but I read some more up on it that this is an old beta that they've had for a while. And the <laughs> issues that they'd had with the beta, they have actually since fixed. So this was just to confirm that everything's all right. They're on the right path and the game's going to be solid when it comes out. Because, yeah, this is actually an old build. Apparently it was phenomenal. And again, I was I was talking to you to see whether or not you were planning on picking it up in which platform, and I've pre-ordered on the PS4. I am actually going to pre-order on the PC as well. And I again I don't do that. I don't um, I don't buy games across multiple platforms. But this IP is different, and I know I'm going to play it on both. Plus, I know that especially the PC one. I know a lot of people, including my son, that are going to be playing on there. So I will definitely play on there, too. So in an odd twist, I'm actually buying the game twice, which is I'm sure they're happy about getting multiple sales. But holy, <laughs> it was that good. There was absolutely I mean, the initial disappointment and in not having a planet. But the once you're in and playing and you see how smooth it feels, how everything just still feels right when you find that one gun that it's like, oh, I like this one. That's the fun of this game, of this IP. So all in all, spectacular beta, although it was more like a demo, but still. And and yeah, I cannot wait to jump back in. Good to hear. I think that was it, right? Was there something I was supposed to swing back to? Probably, but who cares? Yeah, let's well, we were. What's that? We had the interruption about Pyre that you said you were going to come back around to. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, we'll deal with Pyre later on. Yeah. Okay, but I, yeah. I, that's all I remember. <laughs> Great stuff. 
definitely watch some videos, see if you're interested in it. Although I'm almost positive that anybody who's played Destiny 1 has already pre-ordered two. But if you are, if you're a Blizzard, especially Blizzard player, be it Diablo, Heroes of the Storm, Overwatch, wow, that's a big group of people. And because the game is going to be coming out using Battle.net, that's going to make some of those people consider this game as well. And I highly urge them all to try it out. Just when the beta comes out for PC, which apparently it will be coming out sometime in August, give it a shot. It's a very, very well-constructed game. I mean, these are the people that did Halo. They know what they're doing. So have a little faith. Try out the the, the beta and, and see if you like it because it's a great game. Mm-hmm. So let's move on from there because we got some news on Telltale. There was a summer 2017 update that they put out talking about their 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 games and which ones we can expect to have yet another season. We've known how Telltale does their games for a while now in terms of the seasons and things like that. So it's not really a surprise, but it's great nonetheless. <laughs> It's really good to hear (laughs) we're getting, especially one of these. So to start off with, they talked about Batman's going to get the second season, this one called The Enemy Within. And you're going to be dealing with the Riddler. And you're also still going to be dealing with John Doe, who is the Joker before he's the Joker, which was one of the funnest things in season one. So I'm really curious how that's going to be handled in season two. Because everything they say about the Joker and how they handle him and this idea of, you know, if if you're saying anything while you're around him, you need to know he's going to remember that and he's going to be building <laughs> up that that file in his head on you, Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman, and it won't take long for him to figure out. So everything they've done, they, they said about this season and how it pertains to your choices and whether you want to be this very dark Batman or a traditional Batman, which is kind of funny to say, but it's true. Dark in, <laughs> in, in this first season is fucking dark. So it was interesting because when they were talking about the first season, how for the majority it's all about Bruce, which is true. Well, it can be. You can also do some Batman, but you can do a lot of Bruce, which was a lot of fun. And it's that idea of, and I can't remember if it was Troy Baker who said it or somebody else saying, like, what parts of yourself are you willing to compromise to move forward in the game? And that is very much what the first season was. We both would fail (laughs) because even I was like, fuck that, spear him over that rebar. (laughs) So, so I I don't think we'd do very well as a Batman, but I'm, I'm excited. I'm assuming you still haven't played season one, right? I have not, but I, I, apparently I have to really get around to that. (laughs) You should again. I know Joe didn't like it, but man, I, I really enjoyed it a lot. Moving on. We are of course getting another season of the walking dead season four. What's surprising is this is actually going to be the final season, uh, which is surprising because like, I'm going to assume this IP for them makes them quite a bit of money. So I'm kind of surprised that they're ending there. Although who knows if they'll just reboot with another Walking Dead with other characters. I I don't know. They didn't say. But this is going to be the final season with Clem. And motherfuckers better not kill her off. <laughs> I, I like Shit will go bad. That, like, they're, they're actually setting an end. Like they, you know as well as I do. They could make you know these things forever. Yeah. Just based on you know the strength of the IP and the amount of money it makes. Like I, I respect the decision to go. You know what? We've kind of done everything we want to do with this IP, so let's end it here. It'll depend on how they end it, because, and and I know they're 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 likely going to give you a couple of endings. I would guess one where she dies and one where she doesn't. So we'll see what happens. It was interesting to hear them talk about the seasons, though, and how Clem became this you know breakout star, and it wasn't intended that way. And then the second season was her dealing like a survivor's guilt, essentially, kind of thing. And then your third season was her basically rejuvenating her faith in family because that's not something that she had seen much of. And then because AJ had been her family and got stripped away. So four is very much about her getting AJ back. So I I want to know where the series is going 
And Clem is such a good character, and I so love what they did with her in season three that I'm not, again, I respect, like you said, that they're reaching a point where, you know, we're going to go out before <laughs> before we do like the comic is done <laughs> and go out on a high. That said, I will dearly miss this character. And I don't say that a lot about, about a lot of different characters, but this one is just one that she, 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 she gets to mean so much to you over time over all of these seasons, just because she's, she's such a relatable character. And because she was, as they said, she was the lens for us in the first season. So we, we immediately relate to her more. And then that carries over through to the next seasons. So it's an impactful character. So it will be disappointing to see that go, but that said, I can't fucking wait to play it. So that's coming out in 2018. Also in 2018, and this was the one I think that everybody was the most excited for. Yeah. And a little surprise, we're getting a second season of The Wolf Among Us. (laughs) 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 That makes me fucking happy. And I know for a fact it makes Joe happy because he's literally replaying the first season right now. Well, maybe not this very moment, but uh, he has been replaying it. And we gushed about the first season so this is going to be sweet i i can't wait to see what they're doing with this yeah like i'm trying to think like in, in the hierarchy of telltale games i think wolf among is probably my second favorite behind uh, tales from the borderlands right. like that it was just so it was so different as well in, in like the way it approached you know the telltale formula if you will and being you know, the detective game, but with also like the more action segments, like, you know, having not played Batman, I'm like thinking like, oh, that's probably how the Batman game worked out. But at the time, it was a, a very fresh step in the Telltale formula. Well, it was. And not just that, but it was very much geared for adults, which was nice. Mm-hmm. It was nice to have a series that didn't shy away from topics that are are adult in nature. I mean, when you're seeing them go to a straight strip club or you're seeing the unbelievable violence, but it fits with what you're seeing. The characters were all flawed in different ways. I mean, snow is way different in here and fucked up in ways that, that aren't, um, that aren't falling on stereotypes. And I like that. I like how she handles Big Bigsby and, and and choices that she makes. And she's not always right either. And I love one of the quotes again from from the people there who were talking and saying, like, the choices that you want to make as Bigsby aren't always the right one. You just you want to just because of what it is. <laughs> and that's how I played the first season as well, just because it was fun to do these things. So, yeah, I am very much looking forward to it. OK, so from there, let's move on to just talk uh, about uh, Diablo because like I said we're going to get a feature from Joe on a bunch of Blizzard stuff but you and I have been playing season 11 of of Diablo one of three. us a bit more than the other admittedly yes <laughs> <laughs> did you get your character to 70 finally not yet I, I, I played for those couple hours Monday and that that was it like okay. I, haven't gone, I haven't gotten back in yeah, I played with uh, with my son, and uh, and I got a character up to I got my necro to seventy, and then it took a little bit longer. I mean, relatively speaking, to get the soup the, the set that I wanted, which is the Anarius one for for bow and armor. But I did get it all. Now it's just a matter of getting the individual pieces and leveling up the the legendary gems that I need. But I've got at least the set. Uh, and immediately was like, oh, this is so much fun. And literally today I leveled a crusader that's going to be my thorn seder. And I got it to, to 70. I just, I, I got somebody from our clan and I just kind of parked my character at the rift entrance while he played. And so I got it to <laughs> 70. So now I just got to gear that son of a bitch out because I want to see which one actually plays better and can level more effectively and lives longer as well. The bone armor build for necros which is very strong as i saw during uh before season 11 started and as opposed to a thorn seder because i know from experience thorn seder is on 
fucking believable. They're just a beast and they can survive anything. So it's going to be curious to see which one I like the best. So what are your thoughts on, on what you've seen so far then? Uh, I actually really enjoy the, the Necromancer. Like it's very different from the Diablo two Necromancer in a lot of good ways. Like the way a lot of the mechanics work out, the, the greatest skill in the history of the game is just being able to tell your fucking skeletons what you want them to attack. Yeah. <laughs> but I like how they have some uh, like short-term summons. I haven't played around with the golem much because from what I've seen, he doesn't he doesn't really have a, a role in most of the builds, which is a little disappointing because I actually really liked playing golem builds in Diablo 2. Yeah. But I mean, you know, we'll see. Maybe there's another set later on that'll be more golem focused or something. But I, I love... Like a lot of the synergy you get with like the curses and the oh God, yeah. the various spells, like I, the the corpse mechanics in this one are. <laughs> I was like, I was trying to figure out at first. I was like, what the fuck is this stuff all over the floor? Like, is this like a graphical glitch? I realized no, that's the, specifically corpses, the necromancer yeah. corpses. Yeah. <laughs> but but a lot of the mechanics around the corpses are nice, and then having the you know that's uh, land of the dead skill, which just gives you corpses. It it's. It's definitely a Diablo three necromancer. It's more fast paced. It's not as you know tactical as the Diablo two one was. Which I mean, they're they're two different games, two different playstyles, and I, I like that they made it feel unique uh, between the two of them. Yeah, D three is much more a speed game because I mean, yeah, you could get some speed builds for D two, and we we all did it for different specs, mm-hmm. but for the most part you could keep up if you were in a group. Now, if you are not specced a very specific way, you get left so far behind in groups because everybody is specced for speed. And the Necro, actually, there is different sense. I, I tried some of them, uh, both with this season as well as before the season started, because I had all of the sets, <laughs> because I had so much fucking material, crafting materials and shit <laughs> on the regular <laughs> in the regular stuff that's not seasonal because it, it just keeps building up throughout the seasons. It gets dumped there. So both my son and I just kind of ripped through and just made tons of everything until we had all the sets that we wanted. So I kind of dicked around with a lot of the sets and some of them are thanks in large part to blood rush. Insane how fast it is like they're Mm -hmm. dropping down the, um, the, the cast time so much the or the cooldown, I should say that they're bouncing around everywhere like mad fucking fools and then throw up different abilities wherever they land for the the elite packs and whatnot so yeah it's ridiculously fast the the spec that i use is again with bone armor so um you do jump around a lot looking for just the elite packs and then you can just keep using your bone armor spell on whatever uh packs of mobs you 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 come across so you have always have the maximum of them and depending on your damage, your DPS, and depending on what level torment you're doing, there are some times you can literally, it, it, that's why it reminded me of the Thorn Seder, you just run. And because your bones are circling you, <laughs> shit just dies. You don't even have to cast anything. Just blood rush around and they all die around you. Like for bounty runs, especially because you tend to do those at a lower level, it's glorious. You just blood rush to where you need to be. Meanwhile, all along the way, you're killing shit just by walking through them. And then you just take out the bosses or the objectives and uh, and the missions pretty fast. So, yeah, I I like it. When I was researching leading up to season 11, is it? Yeah. At the various sets and builds, like the one I immediately homed in on is the one I wanted to play is the the same thing, the, the bone armor build. So, like, it's... It's just so interesting and different that, like, you know, it's not a minion build. And, you know, it, but I, I just, I even love, like, just the spell itself. Like, bone armor, what's it do? It literally rips the bones yeah. out of your enemies <laughs> and you form it into a suit of armor. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> Once you have the full set, they actually spin around you. you yeah, don't get the, the bone the bonado. Set. Yeah. It, oh, fuck, it's glorious. The only problem with it, and this is where I'm going to be tweaking the, the, the build a little bit and kind of playing with it, it, because I found another build where somebody essentially is doing a Thorns Necro. So, and it does a ridiculous amount of Thorns damage instead. 
And I'm curious to try that to see how effective that would be, because that's one of the things that is actually a downside of the Necro, this build specifically, as opposed to the Thorn Seder, is that ranged motherfuckers are a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> and they will take you out. So you're constantly blood rushing just so that you have that immunity for a short little bit and you're not getting hit. Whereas with the Thorn Seder, it's like, fuck you. I don't care if you're right beside me or 50 feet away. Go ahead. Try to hit me. Oh, look, you're dead now. <laughs> so <laughs> I like that a lot more. Uh, like I had. I'm trying to remember if I had. I think I have 750 or 800 Paragon points. Uh Regular in, in the regular, not seasonal stuff. So I had a lot of Paragon points to put into life and everything else for the Necro. And to mess around with like full life or full intellect for the Paragon points to see which is better to kill them fast or to survive. And in either case, you take a fuck ton of damage. And I had a good setup with my my uh, my set and everything, and I boosted it up as well. There were some ancient pieces in there, everything. And even then, like the especially the those little motherfucking fire shamans. God, I hate those <laughs> bastards. When you get all that fire on you, it's like boom, that's it, you're dead. So Again, pros and cons. I'm going to be very curious how it plays out in comparison to direct comparison to the, the Thorn Seder. All right, let's move on from there. We got some uh, Middle Earth Shadow of War news. Go ahead. So I remember when we first heard about this game, like we were all pretty hyped. And then I think like since I wasn't on the E3 episode, like I, you guys are kind of with me that I'm not as interested in it now. Like the more I learn about it, I'm like, eh, I might pass on this one. And now we come to find out that they've revealed how the Shellob is going to be featured in the game. The Shellob, of course, being the giant, scary, creepy, disgusting spider queen. And she's going to serve a role of like being a counselor, seer type type character that uh, keeps you in on what's going on with uh, Sauron's forces around Mordor. And she actually gives you visions of what they're doing. And she because she has her own interests here. But I mean. It's cool. Like, I'm interested. Like, okay. And then you come to find out, like, well, they really want you to want to fuck the spider. <laughs> because in the game, she's not this big, creepy spider. She takes on a human form of this, you know, sexy woman. And it's just like, ah, no, no, I don't, I don't want any of this for multitude of reasons. <laughs> well, she's not a black widow. I don't think she'd take your head off at the end. I mean, it's just, it feels very Witcher to me, which as great as The Witcher was, it was also, you know, a very TNA heavy game. And I think they're trying to buy in a bit to that here of, you know, like, oh yeah, it's a female character. <laughs> you know, sometimes you could just leave them as a spider. They don't have to be. <laughs> I agree. It, uh, it's just really weird and awkward. And I'm already not feeling this game and this certainly didn't help. Yeah. Yeah, the it's what you said, too. The last thing that I saw was like, yeah, I know Joe actually liked it. I was not crazy about it. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, this might be one of the ones that I actually pass on for a bit or wait until a really good sale. I mean, I'm at, I'm at the point now, like just my scheduling and whatnot. I basically pay, play like three games a year. So I'm OK with skipping this one. <laughs> Did you watch the uh, gameplay of Nino Kuni 2 that I posted? Uh, yeah, I mean, to to an extent, because a lot of it was, you know, the same stuff I've seen before. But it was interesting having the commentary and them actually yes. explaining some of the stuff. Yeah. So like, oh, OK, that's how that works. And, you know, like, you know, you can't just always use your magic spells. You have to get in there and use your your melee attacks to charge them up and how the various higgledies work and this and that. Because like I said I watched a couple of the, the E3 because this was basically just the E3 uh, demo with commentary from level five. Uh, and I watched so many videos of people just like they played it for like a half hour just hitting the boss with their sword and like could, didn't figure out how to use any of their skills so it was nice seeing somebody who knew how to play the game knew how to address the mechanics like I like it like I, I still would prefer the old way but knowing that there's still tactical elements and you know having to manage you know what who's around you and with the the charge up elemental attacks like eh, i'm okay yeah 
Like, did, did you I'm, think that I'm, it lasted too long? Gonna play the game. Hmm? Did you think that the fights lasted too long though? Uh, the 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 dragon one. I felt it lasted. I don't know if it was you know, you know, due to uh, them talking and missing gameplay elements, but like that one felt a little long. The first one didn't seem that bad to me though. See, I felt that both of them were a little too long. Well, the dragon especially, but even the first one I thought yeah. was too long I mean, for just what it the, was. The, dra- the way the mechanics of the dragon fight go where you can't even hurt it for half the fight. So Yeah. But, I mean, they, it's never going to be the first game. Like, we just have to accept that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I I think I can be happy with where it is now, though. Like, and, and as, if I still get the great story, the great characters, I, I I'm okay with this. I, again, the more I'm hearing about the story, the more I like it. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. enjoying what they're saying story-wise. I love the art direction, except for the fact that they insert 3D characters into this, well, it's not really cel-shaded, but animated look, to me just doesn't mm-hmm. fit at all. Like when you're fighting the first like mini-boss, they look kind of like a gorilla, animated. Works perfectly. Second one, the dragon is 3D, and it just looks so out of place. It it looks like a a placeholder asset. I just I absolutely abhor it. So and I'm still not yeah, crazy I, about the fucking. I, it didn't bother me that much. Like I didn't really really nah, notice it. I hate it. And the Higgledies, mm, 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 I don't know. <laughs> They'll grow on you, Roger. No, they they'll won't. grow on you. No, no I really by, don't by this time won't. next year you're gonna have Higgledies all over your desk. <laughs> If I had a 3D printer, I'd print them, punch of them, and put them around my library. <laughs> now I and I love that each little Higgledy clan has like a general, a leader. Yes. like a scarf or a cape or something. Like that's pretty cute. <laughs> I thought that was cute, but I still am not crazy about it. I do like though the the fact that he's using them. It's almost like he's sucking up their essence to, to yeah. cast spells. Which I thought, well, that's a little morbid, but okay, might make it a little bit more interesting. But yeah, I'm still not crazy about it. I again. And it's like you said, this is what we're getting. Get used to it. Simple as that. But man, because it is Ninokuni 2, you can't help but keep thinking about what you're losing, which is one of the best combat systems for that type of game that, hell, we may have ever seen. In terms of a Pokemon type game, the battle system in that for me is pretty much close to the top, if not on top. And this, ooh, no. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. So, okay, let's move on. There was a video also for Uncharted The Lost Legacy. Now, I know you're not interested in this, but I am. It was very cool to watch. It was quite a bit of gameplay. There was about 15 minutes, I think, and it was very cool. So you got to see both Chloe and Nadine in India, and they were kind of going around to different temples and different um different sites to gather various items as is want to do in an uncharted game. You can see a lot of the regular uncharted there. Basically she's like Nathan, but with boobs. Um, but there's also other things that you, you see in there. Hell, there's some indie moments with the whip as well. And the swinging around, there's the tomb Raider elements with the climbing gear and climbing rocks. Uh, the the it's very familiar if you played the uncharted games but but more like that area was massive and that was traversing it in a fucking 4x4 and still absolutely massive it was gorgeous every aspect of it those temples everything absolutely jaw droppingly beautiful and then you got to see again the if you want to stealth around or if you want to use combat again combat very similar to the other uncharted games so it's not going to be anything new but it also again that exploration thing like when she went underwater which once again holding my fucking breath and going how are they doing this is too far <laughs> i would have drowned by now um but the that's why puzzles, you're not an international yeah, treasure yeah basically yeah, yeah i'd have to work on that <laughs> But yeah, it was very, very cool. I liked the little puzzles as she was going around and finding the different places. I like how interactive it was in terms of the conversations, in terms of, not interactive, but making the world feel alive kind of thing. Very, very cool. I This is coming out August 22nd. 
I I'm likely not buying it day one, but I definitely will be picking it up. And Claudia Black is not just one of the characters, but she narrates a lot of it too. Oh God, I love her voice. Oh my God, it just sounds <laughs> spectacular. So yeah, very much looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on. You wanted to talk about Dragon Quest Eleven. Go ahead. Yeah, we got a little bit of stuff here about Dragon Quest Eleven. Coming to find out that as gorgeous as the game is, because I still I'm blown away by how great it looks, it's not going to have voice acting. And I was like, well, what are you talking about? Like, you know, the last big console Dragon Quest game had voice acting, that being Dragon Quest Eight. I mean, prior to that, it was you know, when games didn't have voice acting and then Dragon Quest nine was on the DS. So I assumed it didn't have voice acting just because of like storage reasons. And then Dragon Quest 10 was the MMO that nobody's played. So like I was expecting like, oh, Dragon Quest 11 going to be voice acted. Come to find out that even Dragon Quest eight, which had phenomenal voice acting, that was only in the Western version. The Japanese release didn't have voice acting until it got re-released on 3DS last year. Last year? Earlier this year? At some point. Recently. Let's put it that way. And they're like, well, we really wanted to keep with, you know, the the tradition of the games, of, of them not being voice acted. And they also went into stuff like it allowed them to, to continue tweaking the script and the story as they went on into development. But eh, I, this is... This is a problem for me, not because like I can't play a game without voice acting because I can, but the voice acting in Dragon Quest eight was so fantastic that it really made me feel for those characters that much more like I I don't think I would have enjoyed that game as much as I did without the voice acting. I I still would have liked it because it was still a a very well made game. It was a lot of fun, but I think a lot of the, the story elements would have fallen a bit flat you can still have a silent protagonist. It worked in Dragon Quest Eight. The protagonist didn't say anything. You know, he emoted and he, you know, he had that. It was about the characters around him that were building the story. The story was never about the main character. He was just there. <laughs> Basically, the story happened around him with all the supporting cast. So, and, and then not only that, this is a game coming out in 2017. People are going to expect it to have voice acting. Like, people will, in like the larger gaming community will probably not buy this game just because it doesn't have voice acting. Like it's, it's a standard for major console releases in this day and age for it to have voice acting. So I think that's a huge, huge misstep. Kind of feels like they're trying to save money, doesn't it? And just not save money in time, but still charge full price. To me, it just that, it feels like a cheat. not an inaccurate statement. Yeah, to me, yeah. That, that doesn't feel right at mm-hmm. all. Especially in something that's more of an RPG. I mean, if you want... Right, here's, here's the thing. Like, Dragon Quest, like, as a franchise, has always been much more... Much, much bigger in Japan than it is in the West. Like, in Japan, Dragon Quest is actually bigger than Final Fantasy. Really? So, if... Yeah, yes. Like, how much bigger are we talking? It's that big of a deal. Like significantly, or just... they've had to declare national holidays when the games come out because they know people <laughs> like to I am fucking moving. So, if none of the games over there previously had the voice acting, like if okay. if it sells well in Japan and you know only the hardcore fans buy it in the West, it, it's still going to work out for them. So yeah, they don't like, care. That's that's all I can think of. Like they're more aware of what's going to work in the Japanese market, and I don't think they really care how well this performs in the West. I, I wish they would, but uh, that's the only justification I can give. Because you're right, it does sound like they're just basically trying to save money. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Was that it? Yep. Pyre. Go. Oh. So, <laughs> uh, Pyre, the new game from Supergiant, the creators of Bastion and Transistor, launched yesterday. I only played for you know, a little over an hour. I got up to the fourth uh, right, the, the uh, as somebody referred to it, it's NBA Jam with a visual novel. <laughs> that <laughs> because, sounds awesome. <laughs> yes, I'm like, okay, great. Yeah, that's the greatest. <laughs> I'm down for that. <laughs> Because like, what we talked about with, with uh, when the game was being revealed and stuff is that uh, the the core gameplay is that you engage in these rights where you have to 
extinguish the opponent's team, uh, their pyre, which like represents their hope and ab their ability to escape this uh, shitty exile that you're all locked in. And you do that by basically slam dunking a fallen star into it, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's like the game, I... I it's very disorienting at first because the game does not give a fuck about setting anything up. It literally drops you into this world. Here's some characters go fight. Like it's a, a lot of the, the, the character introductions and like the explanations for a lot of this stuff, like why you're doing it and what it means are filled in later. And I, I'm really enjoying that. Like it doesn't waste time of like, yeah, you get to the tutorial stuff, but it doesn't hold your hand as far as explaining every little thing. It it knows that the players are intelligent human beings and they can figure stuff out for their own. And if they don't, it will be revealed at some point. And I, I wasn't expecting to have this many playable characters as well, because you, the quote reader, you don't actually exist in the, uh, the competition parts. Uh, you're too important to risk on the field. So you have uh, what we saw in uh, the early demos. I, I forget all the names. You have like the human guy, Hedwin, I think he is. He's just, you know, your normal average human person. Uh, John Dariel, the massive demon woman, and something with an R, I forget. Basically, the little dog guy with an awesome mustache. Like, those are the three we've seen. I've already gained two new playable characters and then another like NPC companion along the way. So like, I'm not going to reveal too much about like all the characters, but uh, I'll just put it out there. Tizo is OP. He's fucking awesome <laughs> to play with, but like they, they just come in and you know, they're instantly interesting. There's no voice acting. Like there's like, they, like they're speaking like some weird little language, but like, it's just like a little snippet and it's all text, which is perfectly fine. It's an indie game. It's not Dragon Quest 11. <laughs> you can do that. <laughs> but it, it gives you just enough of like that, that like emotion, like just the tone of their, of their voice uh, with the text and the, the gorgeous artwork, the art style in the game. Oh my God. <laughs> it's beautiful. And then you have the visual novel elements of as you're venturing through this world, you have branching paths. You have different decisions to make. You have, I, I, I already, I'm already worried if I fucked stuff up or if I made the right decisions. Like there's, it's just engrossing. Like I adore every little bit of it. I cannot recommend it enough. How's the sound? And the music. I was it's super say, yeah. giant. <laughs> yeah. it, the music is <laughs> it's second to none. Like this, it's going to be hard to top transistor, but this is up there. Let's put it that way. Okay. Well, it is on my list. I, I cannot wait to play mm -hmm. it. So yeah. Awesome. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, what is it? I pre-ordered it on PlayStation. So I got it for like 12 bucks instead of 15. Yeah. It's, it's super cheap. So yeah, definitely yeah. support these people. They work hard and they're, they're doing amazing fucking work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. NBA jam, the visual novel. Um, <laughs> speaking, yep. speaking of visual novels, is Ali playing that daddy dating sim? No, fuck. That's I all. Think I that's can... her thing. Really? Yeah. She, she likes dating oh, sims. Hold on a second, honey. Mm -hmm. Do you want to play Dream Daddy? Um. Well, how will you feel about me if I do? I, I don't care. Roger's asking if you wanted to play Dream Daddy. Sure, I'll play Dream Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What concerns me more, however, is the fact that you knew the name of the game. <laughs> Half the people in my Twitter timeline are playing it. I know. I, like, it's impossible to ignore. Well, everybody's playing it in my timeline, too. I just I couldn't remember the name. <laughs> I don't care that much. But I was thinking, am I going to have to subject myself to this in order to talk about it on the show? Because a lot of fucking people are talking about it. So maybe if Ali plays it, then we can bring her on and she can talk about it. <laughs> All right. That's going to wrap it up for this week. Make sure to stick around, though, and listen to Joe's feature on some Blizzard news for... Diablo as well as Overwatch as well as Heroes of the Storm and knowing Joe he'll probably toss in some wow as well you can find the show notes at forthelore.com you can also find us on Twitter at forthelore or individually Joe's Loaders at J Vincent Simonian and I am Zen Buddhas you can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher and with that we will see you in a few short days when we are going to do our brand new D&D session which I cannot wait for alright talk to you later
one thing that can be said about Blizzard Entertainment is that they know how to tell a story. It is one of their defining features as a game company. Every time there's a new expansion, a new game, a new release, they release a large amount of story. In this past couple weeks, we've gotten two rather deep comics relaying more story to both Diablo and Overwatch. With Diablo, we have the Necromancer comic. And one of the defining features of Diablo 3 is that each of the classes you can play has a male and a female version. With the Necromancer release, and going back to Diablo 2, there was only ever the male Necromancer, even as an NPC inside of Westmarch, and some of the other areas in the game itself, there was only ever a male. So one asked the question, where do female Necromancers come from? Because we believe that priests of Rathma, the necromantic god, so to speak, were only male. Well, here in the comic, we actually see a group of children playing, and they, they come across a dead bird, and a traveler, a wandering traveler, comes and resurrects the bird into a skeletal zombie-ish form using the power of wrath. One child, versus all the others, stays and watches as everybody else runs away, and he turns to her and says, are you interested in learning? And through this we see that he brings this child to the priesthood of Rathma, to a sacred place to learn the ways of necromancy, a school of necromancy. She grows, she learns, she becomes more powerful, and then at one point, the necromancer turns to her and says, you are ready, there is no more, I can teach you here. And so they begin their travel outward into the rest of the world, where they come across bandits that have raided a town. In this moment, the necromancer turns to his apprentice and says, raise the dead. He does so. They defeat the bandits. And there's this moment where he turns to her and says, next time they have to be faster. And she simply says, I know. It's this interesting moment, and the comic shows that Rothma is an entire discipline. It's, it's on par with the paladins of the order of the world, of any other heroic class that we have. And it has these sort of traditions, this incredibly steep and diverse group of people, and that it accepts anyone. There's no discrimination. In the scenes where there are children learning and growing up in the school, they're all different races and all different sexes they're not just white male undead loving things and it's sort of an important moment it's a really well done comic the art style is very watercolor would be the wrong word but it's very muted colors it very much fits the tone of a necromancer quite well it is a fantastic sort of introduction into the necromancer joining the the fight against diablo and the minions now in the overwatch comic masquerade this is all about talent in particular, about Doomfist, who led Talon at point. This is the moments after he's broken out and is making reacquaintances with his teammates, Reaper, Widow, and now Sombra. He wants revenge for what happened to him, because what it appears is that he wasn't in prison just because of Overwatch. There was a betrayal somewhere, and he makes statements of Talon not being what it's supposed to be, which is really cool, because... Doomfist is a character, not only has he been long anticipated, but his association with Talon has never really been clear until recently. With him being the head of Talon and his ideals, it sort of makes a little more sense of why they've had their hand in the pot and why they haven't exactly killed a lot of people. They have, but they haven't. Like, some of the shorts we questioned why Reaper didn't kill Winston, or why many opportunities presented itself and they didn't mass murder or wholesale murder like we expect they would. Well, the original ideas of Talon align with Doomfist. He believes that the saving of humanity, making them stronger, making them more than what they are, is a matter of putting them through conflict, and that only through conflict can strength be obtained. That's what Talon was originally intended for, to sow the seeds of conflict so that people could become stronger as a result of it. And if they're truly behind the Omnic Crisis, which they very well may be, because... At this point, humanity fighting against themselves is, well, we've already reached that peak. We need something bigger, more threatening than humanity to fight against. Well, the Omnics are right there. Let's make this massive world war, and let's do our thing. And that's what they did. And it's just phenomenal the way that the you could see it fit his sort of mindset. And while he's been in prison, it turns out the talent has become more of a routine criminal organization looking for money, trying to get their hands in the pots of different corporations and world governments. 
not so much trying to make people stronger, but trying to gain power and money themselves. Well, Doomfist, now breaking out of prison, re- reuniting with his team, is hell-bent on taking back talent and making it the way that it should be by exacting his revenge. Uh, there's a scene straight out of Casino Royale where he goes to, well, it's a casino, and he makes contact with one of his old friends, and operatives of Talon under the new leadership of Talon are there to eliminate Doomfist, in which you have sort of a James Bond-esque fight scene where, unaugmented with just his regular fists, with not, not the giant Doomfist that we've been fighting for all these months at this point, he cleans house, Widowmaker completely devastates with no gun and just does an amazing combat sequence, just like the femme fatale she is, with Sombra in the background and Reyes running point. It was a phenomenal scene almost straight out of him. Then you have this masquerade ball in which the members of Talon are sort of all meeting, the council, the ruling class. Well, in this moment, you see sort of what reminded me of almost a Count of Monte Cristo entrance with all of the members of, of Doomfist's party in costume in this party, but Doomfist coming in like the Grand Duke. And it looks very much like something you would see in the old-style French masquerade balls from back in the day. And it was just this wonderful moment where he does come in, and he does, in fact, murder his opponent, the person that has replaced him and turned Alan into something that was weak. And then he enters the council room and sits at the head of the table taking back control of Talon and putting it to where it needs to be. More than a terrorist organization, more than a criminal organization, but something that is sowing the seeds of conflict for a better humanity. Now, this is one of those few moments, too, where I will also say that I believe that the motion comic here is probably the best they've ever done. The scenes are fantastic. The sound effects are actually rather subdued, which is great, but the music fits every scene perfectly. And we talk about this a lot, but it was damn near a cinematic experience. Something I definitely think everybody should take a look through, especially if they are interested in any of the lore or any of the story behind Overwatch. It gives fantastic character insight into Doomfist. It also gives fantastic insight into Sombra, Reyes, and Widowmaker and their relationship to Doomfist and why they do what they do. And I think this is fantastic because it puts so many other things that have happened up to this point into a new perspective and you can't help but think about and what these implications mean for everyone now not to be outdone with the announce with the release of these and now the release of doomfist and the announcement therein heroes of the storm is also introducing a new hero to the arena love him or hate him garrosh hellscream is going to be the new and honestly this is one of those times where it makes sense garrosh is a brawler he's a fighter he is this character that is, well, he's fucked up a lot of things in Warcraft history for whatever reason, but he's always been a combatant. So sticking him into an arena environment just makes sense. And it's something that I think is long anticipated because honestly, you have a giant axe wielding orc. Why the hell not stick him into Heroes of the Storm? He's going to have some amazing skins. Uh, personal favorite, shout out to the Mad Axe skin which is very much a Mad Max skin. Get it? Ha ha ha. But it's phenomenal where he has car parts on him where instead of having the tusks of a demon as his shoulder plates, he has what are essentially like engines with exhausts on them. Uh, an axe that has a motor on it. It's it's really well done. Uh, the voice work is phenomenal and the animations are stellar. I think he's going to be a great addition to Heroes of the Storm. Personally, as much as I may hate him in WoW, I am super excited to have him in Heroes of the Storm. I cannot wait. Blizzard has been doing phenomenal things with all of their non-WoW IPs. Not necessarily forsaking WoW, but definitely giving them more attention. The supporting pieces that they've been releasing for them, the products, the comics, the shorts, everything that's come along with them has been phenomenal and gives them a sort of new life. Diablo 3 has been long since considered, I don't want to say a dead IP, but doesn't have the player base that it once had. And they are very clearly trying to put something more into it, try to find the heart of it. And you can appreciate that with the Necromancer. With Overwatch, while there is no in-game story except for the interaction between characters, 
the Outer Game story has been really well done. There is a lot of intricate pieces in the comics, in the shorts, everything that they've been producing. Honestly, I think it's some of the best storytelling they've done because it is brand new. It doesn't have those shackles that WoW has for course of 20 years. They can do whatever they want with it. And the fact that it's based off of real world, they can draw on so many things. And they all have sort of a cinematic quality to it. And then Heroes just remains to grow into a very fun game. Now, there's not a whole lot of story behind it. We don't really know why everybody's there. But the inclusion of these characters, and some new ones as well, uh, from all the various IPs, is just fantastic. I will give Blizzard credit where credit is due. They have done a phenomenal job keeping all of these IPs quite Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.